Welcome back to these recordings provided by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Well, what did you do this past week? And what are you going to do this next week? Most of you will say, I worked last week and I'll go to work tomorrow. In this present distress, you may not be working in the same way you worked earlier in the year, but if you are employed, you are working and thankful to be employed and to be productive. Even if some of our viewers and listeners are retired or disabled or unemployed, I think the people in our electronic audience are busy people, have things to do, take responsibility about their lives to the best of their ability. So here is my beginning place tonight. Work is good for us, and God expects us to do our best. I'll repeat that several times. Work is good for us, and God expects us to do our best. This is Bible truth we are familiar with and would confirm. Work is good for us, and God expects us to do our best. In Genesis 2.15, this is before sin entered, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it. This is before Adam had a wife. Work was pretty immediate in God's plan for human beings on earth. That goes to my point that work is good for us, and God expects us to do our best. Genesis teaches us that. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says that the sleep of people who labor is sweet whether they eat little or much. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, said this to Christians, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. For this audience, I think it isn't necessary to give additional documentation or go on and on about this beginning point. We all know this to be true from God's Word. Work is good for us, and God expects us to do our best. Let me take you through an abbreviated journey in Scripture on this important subject. Work is to be done diligently. Do your best is the idea. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We work so we can eat. That's the ideal brought up in several passages in Proverbs and a stern statement of Paul to Christians. If any will not work, neither let him eat. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 if any will not work, neither let him eat. Work glorifies God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It is work that sustains families, and if anyone doesn't take care of his family, he has denied the faith, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. Work is an expression of honesty against the activity of theft in Ephesians 4.28. So this is an abbreviated journey I've given you 
emphasizing the point I'm stressing as I begin the sermon, that work is good for us and God expects us to do our work. Now, I could wrap it up right here, stop and be satisfied that we've brought up something that is, without a doubt, Bible truth from God for us to live by. But here's where I'm going. I want to speak to us about work specific to the Christian's life as a Christian. We understand going to work to make a living. Work that is done in the home. That's a necessary function of personal responsibility. But what I want to talk about is a specific area of work, and I'll let Paul introduce this for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul, he said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. In a sense, true to personal responsibility, everything Christians do is the work of the Lord. I understand that. But there are specifics expected by the Lord, activity, labor, that is specified in our walk as Christians about the faith in a direct way. And I want to address four of those areas of work we need to be engaged in, very specific to our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ and what the Holy Spirit has revealed, very specific areas of work. Number one, influence. One watchful concern every Christian ought to have every day is what about my influence? Now, your influence comes from your character. You don't invent or artificially engineer your influence for the sake of reputation. Your influence flows directly from your character. Jesus expects us to be concerned about that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now that's work. It's not manual labor, but it's effort and concentration and devotion, responsibility, action. Jesus expects us to be aware of our influence and to govern that in such a way that we are a light before others. I have to give some thought to that, don't I? How am I leading people through my influence? What do people see in me that leads them in a good direction? Do people just hear me talk about the Lord or religion but never see any action? What do people see in me that leads them in a good direction? That's responsibility. That's work. It requires effort. It's part of the work of the Lord that is not in vain. Congregational participation. God wants us to work together to stir up one another to love and good works. In Ephesians 4 and verse 16, 
to be joined together, participants together in the work of the Lord. Let's be honest, this has been hard to do over the past several months, but we must do our best to stay in touch, to encourage one another through digital means and live streams, continuing to contribute to the Lord's work, teaching others through whatever methods are available to us. Though not in a building, the obligation remains to do all we can for the group, to be a part of the group, to spread the gospel, encourage one another. That's work specific to being a Christian. It's the work of the Lord. That's not in vain. Relational work. 1 Peter 4.10, last Sunday night, I spoke on the subject of the heart of a servant from the Gospel of Luke, <coughs> and I concluded with 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Part of the work God expects his people to do is serve one another. Those three words are right there on the page in front of me and in front of you in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. Serve one another. That's the relational aspect of work that is specific to Christians. And that work is not in vain. Serve one another. It may mean a whole range of things we do for each other. We encourage one another. Pray for one another. It may involve teaching. We may need to serve one another in very physical ways, providing food, running errands, helping the sick, comforting the grieving, transportation. To become engaged in this relational work, we must assess what our brothers and sisters in Christ need that we are able to provide. That involves observation, conversation, and then decisions about what we're able to do to fulfill this command, serve one another. Two examples, Barnabas served others by providing teaching and encouragement. In Romans 16, Phoebe served the church in Sincrea in ways in keeping with her ability and their need. When I look at this phrase, serve one another, I need to inquire of myself, and you of yourself, are we doing this? In what specific ways can we do this better? It starts with the desire to do this good work to glorify God and to come to the aid of our brothers and sisters. The good works prompted by faith involve our influence, congregational teamwork, relational work of serving one another. And here's another part of the work specific to Christians that is not in vain, personal. Philippians 2 and verse 12 contains that phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That highlights personal responsibility. 
to follow up after baptism with the heart and life to work on yourself, to grow in knowledge, in the depth of your worship, the regularity of Bible reading and prayer, sharing the gospel, serving people. I cannot do this for you. You cannot do this for me. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And moving into Philippians 2 in a recent Bible class, we explored this paragraph about growth, your personal growth. That's work that you do and that I do that is not in vain. It's part of that phrase, working out your own salvation. Listen, please. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's what makes all we have talked about important. In Philippians 2.13, right after the imperative to work out your own salvation, the next verse says, it is God who works in you. As I respond to the grace of God and the cross of Christ, doing what the Holy Spirit says constitutes good work, God works through me. One part of that is I don't get the credit. God does. It all abounds to his glory and honor when we become engaged in the good works of obedience, those works specific to a Christian that are not in vain. Let's go back where we started. Paul, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter devoted to one primary subject, the resurrection of Christ, and connected to that truth, our future resurrection. That means the work we do, the activity of faith we're engaged in, anticipates a great end, raised to eternal bliss. So we know our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I'm going to go back where I started. What are you doing next week? I'll go to work. Many of you will go to work in the home, out in the workplace. We are busy. We have busy days ahead. Will our activity include the work specific to the Christian's life, abounding in the work of the Lord? You know, I take the trash out once a week and people up and down the street here take the trash out. 
That's work. That's responsibility. But I'm talking in this sermon about work specific to your walk with God through Christ, serving one another, the personal pursuit of growth, teamwork with other Christians so far as we're able. God expects us to abound in his work, and if your heart is where it ought to be, that's what you're going to want to do. I want you to pray about this. I'm going to pray about this. Examine yourself. I'll examine myself, and let's abound in the work of the Lord. Thank you for listening.